Well, good morning, church. Let's try that one more time. Good morning, church. Thank you, thank you. It's good to, good to be together. It's always a blessing for us to gather around the table, uh, to gather our hearts in prayer, in song, and now as God's people to gather around his word. Uh, would you pray with me? God, please be with us over the next few minutes as we open our hearts to your scriptures, to, to the ways that you want to speak to each one of us. God, I'm thankful for each person in this church family for each member of this body. And I pray that as we open our hearts together as a community, that you would help us deepen our faith, that you would help us deepen our sense of your calling in our lives, and that you would give us the courage and the strength that we need to follow you more faithfully than we ever have before. It's in your precious son's name we pray. Amen. So we are continuing our, our study, our focus on Paul's letter to the church in Corinth, his first letter, 1 Corinthians. And we have been spending the last couple of months as a church family asking ourselves, trying to be as honest as we can, regardless of, of how experienced we may feel when it comes to being a part of a church family, in what ways could we confess, could we admit that we're all still beginners, and for each one of us, I think there are different places in our hearts and in our, our lives where we would say, you know, I, I'm really, I'm sensing the distance between the way I'm living my life in this area of life and the way Jesus modeled, that, that, that Jesus has shown is possible for me. And, and so whatever that is for you, whatever part of your life, whatever part of your spiritual journey you're in, where you've got to have that courage to be honest to say, okay, in these ways, I feel like God has helped me be more and more like Jesus, but in these other ways, I've been resistant, or I haven't been open to what God's calling me to do and be for other people. I, I just hope you have some sense of that. You know, for me, each week, I've been wrestling with, okay, what are the things that I've been ignoring? What are the, the places in my soul that I have been neglecting? And how does this part, this portion, this passage of 1 Corinthians call me to more faithful discipleship, more, more faithful followership. And, and what I want us to think about this morning together is just what we, each of us, bring to the table when it comes to our understanding of, of what the church is supposed to be. Right? Because how we think about the church, it directly impacts how we experience the church. How we think about it directly impacts how we feel about it when we are gathered together as the church. And, and we have talked at various times as, as we have dreamed together about God's good future for this family of faith. We, we've talked about you know, the, the challenges that come in a culture and a world where we are tempted, no matter what community we, we come across, no, no matter what kind of community we may be thinking, well, do I want to be a part of that or not, we tend to come from a place of, of a self-interested individual. Right? What am I going to get out of this? If I, if I place membership in this community, what, what's that going to do for me? What, what's that going to mean for me? How's that going to get me ahead? How, how's that going to help me experience the kind of life that I want to experience? Right? And I'm not, I'm not confessing this for any of you. I'll just confess it for myself. That every time I am introduced to a new community where I've got an opportunity to be a part of it, I, 
I have to overcome my instinct to be that self-interested individual. And, and it doesn't matter then exactly the kind of, of metaphor I'm using when I talk about the church. I've got to be careful about that, that beginning place because it'll twist it. Right? It'll, it'll become a shadow version of itself. I mean, even if we talk about church as a family, or you think about it as a family. Right? If, if you view family as a place where everybody is looking out for, for other people in that family, and everybody's trying their best to, to hold on to one another no matter what, and, and everybody's trying to, to contribute what they can, well, then that's a helpful image of church. But if we think of family primarily as a place where dysfunction happens, as a place where people are constantly looking to, to try to push the family in a direction so that they, they get what they want out of those relationships, well then, suddenly the image of church as a family, it doesn't only have upsides, it's got obvious downsides. Right? If, if you have experienced in your own family abuse or neglect or difficulty, and we keep talking about church as a family, you may not have warm, fuzzy feelings. You may have to work through some of the things in your past to, to see church in any positive ways of family. But that's far from the only kind of metaphor. I think it may be the most popular one. Uh, but, but I want you to be honest. When you think about church, what kinds of expectations do you bring with you? Right? Because those expectations are determined by how you view what it is we're, we're supposed to be doing together here. Right? Who we are when we gather together here. You know, there's some people, it seems to me, they, they almost view church almost like a, a sports team. And they want to be a part of a winning franchise. Right? They, they want to see a good product on the field. They want to see that the management cares, that there's some skilled people there that they, they can watch and, and they can, you know, as we all do as we're watching our favorite teams, we can have games that go well and games that don't go as well. And we have our favorite players and we have players that we, we feel like, well, they're just keeping them around, you know, because they're, they're sentimental and, and, and all that kind of stuff. But the, the primary challenge, I think, with the idea of, of being a part of a winning team is the the real risk of, of just having a handful of people who we're all paying attention to and looking at and the rest of us kind of primarily see ourselves as an audience or, or fans, right? There are major downsides to that. There's upsides to being a part of something that's, that's working and changing the world around us as long as we all see ourselves as players but I think sometimes it, it gets really difficult. You know, maybe, maybe some people think of, of church more like some kind of live performance. Same downside, same risk, right? That, that at least while I'm here, if I'm going to give you an hour, an hour and a half of my time, I want what I'm watching to be entertaining. And, you know, after it's over, I'm going to have a real sense of how good this particular performance was. You know, the challenge there is, again, who all is contributing to that? And, and it's so much easier to criticize what somebody else is doing when, when what you're primarily doing is sitting and watching, right? If, if you've got that kind of space while someone else is doing what it is that they're, they're, they're trying to, to pull off, well, then you start to think, well, you know, I've never preached before, but, man, this sermon could be improved by this, this, and this. And I know it because that's what happens anytime I listen to somebody else preach, 
You know, my dad's always joked, the only thing worse than preaching a sermon is having to sit through someone else's. Right? It's like you just, you get to this point where you're kind of sitting in judgment. Right? Or, or if we think about church as, as some kind of, of institution that we go to where there's religious goods and service, almost like a, a spiritual restaurant. Right? And maybe it's like a buffet. And you know, there's downsides to buffets. Buffets are never good at any one particular dish because they're trying to please everybody. So everything's kind of, you know, lukewarm and overcooked and not that. If you own a buffet, I'm sorry, I'm not talking about yours. <laughs> right? But you know the, the difficulty, right, of that? And, and then again, who else do, who, who's cooking? Who, who's the wait staff? And who's just sitting there eating from the buffet, picking and choosing what parts of this they want? And I could keep going, right? We all bring with us different expectations to church. And one of my big fears is most of the time there's a sharp division of labor. There's very few people who were expecting way too much from and there's way too much riding on those people. And whether we call that the, the staff and the elders or the staff and the elders and ministry leaders or however we arrange ourselves, the difficulty is if a, if a large number of us are primarily here to consume, if we're primarily here to partake and not to offer, we're probably going to find ourselves really struggling to get out of a spirit of criticism, because if I'm a client or a customer, you know, I, I'm really just, I'm going to find fault. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to impact the tip, right? It's going to impact the way I interact with that person. It's going to impact whether or not I go back again. And Paul has a very specific metaphor, an image of the church that he loves. Now, he uses various metaphors throughout his letters, but but there's one that's his favor. He, he talks about us being God's household. He talks about us being God's temple. He, he talks about, you know, the family by, by referring constantly to people as brothers and sisters, right? There's this, there are all these images. But the one that he really explores the most is the body of Christ. And we're going to read his description of that now. So if you've got your Bible, open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we'll start reading together in verse 12. And I want you to notice the very first word of the reading before we go any farther. Because I want you to understand that when Paul sees the church, he sees Christ. There's no distance between Jesus and Jesus' body, Jesus' people. So when he starts out and says Christ is just like the human body, he's already talking about the church. And I have a feeling that the reason Paul does this, do you remember how, how Jesus talked to him on the road to Damascus? And, and Paul was actively persecuting the church. Do you remember what Jesus says to him? Paul, Paul, why do you persecute me? Right? Now, the reason that's important is what follows is not Paul saying what the church should be. He's saying, this is who you are. Why aren't you living like it? Okay. Christ is just like the human body. A body is a unit and has many parts, and all the parts of the body are one body, even though there are many. 
We were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jew or Greek or slave or free, and we all were given one spirit to drink. Now certainly the the body isn't one part, but many. Now he's trying to be humorous here. We never expect comedy or, or, you know, humor in the Bible. But Paul is not saying this without you trying to imagine the ridiculousness of, of what he's going to describe here, right? He says, if the foot says, I'm not a part of the body because I'm not a hand, does that mean it's not part of the body? If the ear says, I'm not part of the body because I'm not an eye, does that mean it's not part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, which is a monstrosity, right? A big floating eyeball. I don't want to be there. What would happen to the hearing? I don't know, but I'm pretty sure I wouldn't just be looking for one little ear on the side, right? So if the whole body were an ear, what would happen to the sense of smell? But as it is, not as it should be, right? As it is, God has placed each one of the parts in the body just like he wanted. If all were one in the same body part, what would happen to the body? It would scare people. But as it is, there are many parts but one body. So the eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you. Because we would never say that in church. Right? Again, he's not talking about what we should be doing. He's saying this is how it is among us. Right? You, you don't say, I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. If one part gets the glory, all of the parts celebrate with it. You are, not should be, you are the body of Christ and you're parts of each other. Okay, now, this image of the body of Christ was a really common metaphor in Paul's time. And it was used politically. It wasn't used for church. In the Greco-Roman world, they, they had to account for the fact that By accident of birth, some people could be emperor and other people were never going to escape slavery. By sheer accident of birth. And what happens in cultures where you've got that kind of of social extreme, you've got to come up with some way of explaining to the slaves why they should be happy with a life where they don't ever have a chance of becoming emperor. Because if you don't, Guess what's going to happen? Some kind of revolution, right? Some kind of violent pushing back of all these people who who feel like they're never going to matter the way one powerful person matters, right? So you you come up with, with a way to talk about life and the world and how things are supposed to work. And one of the, the prevalent metaphors they used was to say, look, we're all a part of the body politic, We're all a part of a body. The empire is a body. And look, I just happen to be the mouth. And you're a pinky toe, and I'm sorry about that, but that's the way it is. And you need to be the best pinky toe you can be. I'll I'll stay over here. I'll continue to do the talking. I'll continue to kind of direct where we're going to go by telling the rest of you where we're going to go. It's not that you don't matter. It's just... That, that you're not in the same position I'm in. You're, you're not the, the same body part that I am. But, you, but you're really, you, be the best 
you can be without dreaming of being anything different. Now here's what Paul is doing with that metaphor that's about saying, uh, yeah, we all have roles. Some of us love the given roles. You know, it's a little easier to love being emperor than a slave. Others of us are kind of disappointed in our roles, uh, but, you know, you, you can't do anything about it. Paul's borrowing that to say that there's another body. There's Christ's body. And it's separate and apart from the body of the Roman Empire. And it works differently than the body that everybody else is used to. The first thing that he's going to remind everybody is there's wisdom in saying that each one of us matters and is important. And there's wisdom in pointing out that there's differences within the body. But the challenge in this Jesus body as opposed to the Roman Empire body is you didn't really have a choice. You didn't feel like you had a choice about whether or not you're going to belong to the Roman Empire. If they conquer you, you're automatically folded in. But in Christ's body, it's always a choice. And so the question is, now that you've made this choice and you realize you've now been transferred from one body to another, you've got to ask yourself what role you think God is calling you to play in this new body because you absolutely have one. And if you don't know what your place is, if you don't know what your role is, what your giftedness is in the spirit, it's negatively impacting the body. It is, it is causing Jesus' body on the earth, which is the church for, for Paul. Right? The, if you think about a spirit, a soul, and a body, you know, you think about the fact that, that this body of Christ is animated by the Holy Spirit, that that's what's within us, not just as individuals, but collectively. Right? When he's talking about spiritual gifts, Stephen read it at the very beginning of, of our worship time together, where it says the Spirit gives all these different gifts to different people. Okay, it's not just gifts that are spiritual. It's gifts that are given to you by the Spirit. And gifts that are given to you by the Spirit are always intended for somebody other than you. Right? It, it's always bigger than just me as a self-interested individual. See, Paul's taking this metaphor because it works, and then he's going to work on it because it doesn't, doesn't always work. He's got he's to move things. He's got to shift things a little bit. But, but let's at least understand how the metaphor works as it is. Paul's saying we're a part of something that defines first who we are. And once we realize who we are within the body, then we have a sense of who we are as individuals. Now that's the exact opposite of how most of us see belonging to community. We start out as individuals. We get a sense of who we think we are, apart from any body. And then we start looking around trying to find the most attractive body for us to, to be a part of. Right? So, so for Paul, it starts at community and moves to individual. For us, it starts as individual and moves to community. And the tricky thing is, you can walk into a room that has community in it and stay completely within yourself. So the first thing we need to understand is this idea that we aren't defined first as who I am. We're defined first by who we are in Jesus together. Then we're going to figure out how each one of us is going to contribute. 
And, and then he points out the, the struggle, which is for a body to actually move through the world and accomplish anything, you've got to have different body parts. Otherwise, it's this monstrosity that you'd make a horror film about. Right? He says, no, look, we belong to one another. And even though we're all different from one another, it, it's okay because that difference, it's, it's not a flaw, it's a feature. It's essential. Now, here's what I want to say about this. It is the Corinthian Christians had fallen into believing because of, of listening to the wisdom of the world instead of being open to the wisdom of the Spirit, they decided the best way to get along with one another was to just all think alike and look alike and approach everything from the same place. They weren't, they weren't really after the kind of unity Paul's talking about. They were after uniformity that makes unity possible. Right? And the problem with unity that comes through uniformity of thought and opinion and perspective is that that is human-engineered unity. That is not spirit-created unity. And if the only way we can stay together as congregations is through uniformity, that's not the unity of the spirit. Nobody in this room makes the unity of this body possible. The spirit makes it possible. And we know we trust that to the degree that we're able to let people be different kinds of body parts, to be different kinds of, of followers, not in the sense that they're headed in any different direction than the, the direction of Jesus Christ, but realizing that if we're going to reach a world full of all kinds of different people, the church has to be made up of all kinds of different people. And everything in our world is pushing back against this. Because everybody, 2,000 years after this letter was sent, is still convinced that the easiest, best way to achieve unity is uniformity. Paul says when we, when we decide that, when we agree with that, we, we're not going to experience the diverse unity that only the Spirit can make possible. Because the Spirit is the only thing that can hold us all together. And, and the body is not existing. So that a handful of people... The eyes and the ears and the whatever else you want to, whatever body parts you want to pick that you think is, you know, presentable, he talks about. And then a bunch of other people are just there. I mean, that kind of body's not going anywhere. It's not achieving what we're called to achieve because what we're supposed to be doing is helping people in our world who don't yet know anything much about Jesus run into him through their encounters with us. And not just as individuals, but together as his people. You know, in the Bible, it's not that one person, it's resting on all their shoulders to try to make an entire congregation effective. Or it's resting on one person's shoulders to bring people to Christ. That's the church's task. Now, we all engage that task in different ways, and we need to have a sense of who we are and who the Spirit's helping us be to figure out the best way we can be a part of it. But we should be wrestling with that every single day, not just as individuals. 
but as members of the body of Christ. And here's the thing. I think too often we reduce church to some kind of Christian institution where everybody gets what they want. But that's not the vision that Paul has for us. The the church isn't a Christian institution where everybody gets what, what they want. It's the body of Christ where everybody gets to truly experience that they're known and needed. Every single person in this room should have some sense from the rest of this room that because of Jesus, you're truly known and we truly need you. Now, in some ways, this entire series, this study that we've been involved in, I have been, I've been focused on this thought. And, and I would say that I, over time, have become more and more convinced that it's not my thought. It's, it's a spirit-led thought. And I don't say that lightly. But here's what I'm, I'm concerned about, is that as we are coming out of, what's that word we kept using all the time, unprecedented? As we're coming out of this pandemic, and as as we are figuring out once again how to live together as the body of Christ, we have a unique opportunity to recalibrate, to make some changes. And what I'm going to to confess to you this morning is, I have for too long in my life viewed church less as, as a body and more as some kind of live performance that I'm responsible for. And I'm trying, to keep, I'm trying to keep the audience happy. I know I can't please everybody, but I'm going to try to please people the most I can. And, and I'm, I'm going to try to make it as entertaining as I can. And some weeks I'm going to do that, and other weeks I'm not. And do you hear how much of this is about me? Okay. Church isn't about me. And church isn't about you. Church, church is about us loving the world enough that we'll do anything. That's what church is. And we have a chance, brothers and sisters, we do, to ask ourselves what is worth holding on to from the church we were before all this. And as we think about, and I'm telling you, this is true for every church. Maybe you're visiting here today and you've been at other churches before. Every church right now is relaunching itself. And I want us to be a body. Not a live performance, not a winning team, I want us to be a body where you know you belong, we know you, and we need you. We need your your unique spirit-given talents, your experiences, your perspectives, your voice. We need you here. And I I don't think we've always done, I'll just say for myself, I don't think I've always done a very good job of, of not only saying that, but helping you experience it. I've had a few people throughout this series say, hey, there's something different about your preaching. What's different about your preaching? You know, part of me wants to say, well, I think you think it's a little better. So that might be part of what's different about the preaching. And I'm really annoyed that that's just now happening in my seventh year of being here. But (laughs) let me tell you what's different. 
for 20 years of, of a preaching ministry, not just at this church, but throughout the churches I've preached at, my primary focus was trying to impress you with my preaching. To prove that I'd done my homework, that I could turn a phrase, that I could keep you entertained and keep you coming back. And you know what? I've decided we don't have time to play that game anymore. If I haven't impressed you by now, you're gone. And if I haven't impressed you by now and you're still here, you're married to somebody who's impressed with it or something, right? Like, let's, <laughs> let's just give it up, okay? That's a waste of time. I'm preaching from now on not to impress anybody, but to connect with every single one of you. I'm not changing how I do the, the study or how I think about how I'm going to pull it together or any of that. None of that's different. It's the reason I'm doing what I'm doing. And at least some of you can tell. Right? Now here's what I'm trying to say. None of us are here to be impressed. We're here to connect and to be reminded that we're a part of something that's bigger than our individual wants and desires and lives. That we're a part of God's mission where we're supposed to do anything we possibly can to reach everybody we possibly can. And if we put too much pressure on any one person, we're only going to reach the people who respond well to that person. And I don't know if you know, you, you got to be a very specific kind of person to want to hang out with me. <laughs> and frankly, you've got to be a very specific kind of person for me to want to hang out with you at, at times, right? Like, that's the gift of the body. It's not me. It's not just you. If you feel like you're in a position with coworkers or neighbors or whatever, and you've got an opening and you can bring those people to this church, that's a blessing because you may or may not already be coming from a place where you're the best person to help them see and encounter Jesus. You may not be that best person, but that best person is in this room because the Spirit called them here. They're here. We just need to find, we need to find each other. And so that's, it's why... It's why coming into the fall, we're encouraging you more and more, every single one of us, if you're not already in some kind of a small group situation where you can be known and you can offer help face-to-face to someone, we want you to prayerfully consider being a part of a small group, and we're not doing it as some sort of church growth strategy. We're not doing it because some church down the street's doing it. We're doing it because you can't be known and needed with several hundred people in a room. And church can't be about Really good content delivered skillfully. It's got to be about connection. That's what church always has been. When, when Paul says, you are the body of Christ, he didn't say, you're an audience and a speaker. You're the body of Christ. Do you feel known and needed? And look, the reality is, that's on us, but it's also on you. Because nobody is going to make you open up your individual life enough to be a part of this. You have to be willing. And that's not a one-time choice, by the way. We all go through times in church where, you know, sometimes I feel like we've got, if we keep this metaphor going of the, of the body of Christ, we've got body image issues. Don't we? Aren't there times you're apologizing to someone because of the shabbiness of the, of the body of Christ? Right, we're kind of embarrassed by each other. That's what Paul says when he means, I don't need you. 
I'm embarrassed by you. You're different enough for me that I don't relate to you. I don't understand you. I don't want to be associated with you. And Paul says, no, that's not your call. If the Spirit's called somebody into your church family, you need to know them. And, and in some way, you may not have discovered it yet. You need them. You are the body of Christ. Live like it. We're relaunching our church And I want this to be a place, no matter what size we are or what kinds of complications we're facing, we have a sense that we're going to be there for one another because we truly know one another and we're going to continually ask people to help. Because if this all rests on one or two or 20 people, it's not going to work. If all of us together are open to the movement of the Spirit, there is no force in this universe that could stop us. You are the body of Christ. This is supposed to be a place where every single one of us is known and needed. We don't have time to make sure we all think exactly alike. We don't have the the luxury of deciding who's going to represent the rest of us. This rests on me, and it rests on you. And the good news is, we're standing on Christ's shoulders together. He's holding us up. You're the body of Christ, Paul says. And I want us to find new ways to live that truth so that we find hope and we can be hope to a world that desperately needs it. We're going to sing together now. And as we do, as we stand together, I want you to think about this church family I don't want you to think about the things in our church family. Obviously, there's things that could be better. Right? There's things that, that God's going to help us heal from. We're not perfect. But we're Jesus's people. And he's at work within us. And if you're not a part of that, I, wanna, I want this to be the formal invitation from this church leadership. Please, we want to know you better, and we need your help. Let's stand and sing as a